Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts always be acceptable in thy sight. For thou art our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. In addition to being the sixth Sunday of the season of Epiphany, today we're celebrating something else. Sarah, Evelyn, and Charlie, and Emmanuel, who unfortunately can't be here, will be receiving First Holy Communion today. And perhaps you're here with us in support of them. If you are, thank you. Uh, Here we are in the basement of the church again, for those of you visiting us. Um, Thanks for putting up with some of the audio and all sorts of things that go on when we move around. Um, The uh, upstairs nave is being refurbished, so that's why we're down here. In God's provision and providence today, the lectionary readings go very well together with the First Holy Communion Sunday, and they give us some practical teaching on how Holy Communion is at the center of what it means to be a Christian. And did you know that, that Holy Communion is at the center theologically and at the core of who we truly are as Christians, along with Holy Baptism? But what is communion? Well, it's an interesting word. We tend to think about it today mostly in terms of Holy Communion, right? We think about it typically in the context of the church. But... It's actually not exclusive to the church, or at least it shouldn't be. What is communion? Why do we have to add the designator holy to it when we talk about the sacrament? Well, when you look it up in the good old dictionary, the word communion means several things, but these are some of the non-sacred definitions. Communion is an act or instance of sharing an act or instance of sharing. And communion, secondly, is intimate fellowship or rapport. Intimate fellowship or rapport. And while those are the secular definitions of it, you can see why it gets applied to this sacrament of the church. Do you know the word communion actually never gets mentioned in Scripture? What is communion is mentioned. The word Eucharist, the Greek word meaning for thanksgiving, is mentioned. The word supper is mentioned. But communion or its Greek, you know, uh, derivative, actually communion is the derivative. There is no Greek derivative in scripture is what I'm trying to say. (laughs) That the word communion in the original language is not in the Bible. And yet when you put everything together in scripture as to what Holy Communion is, you can see why it's so fitting that we call it this. Because in scripture, it is a holy act of sharing. It is a setting apart of an instant in time, a rapport with God and with one another. 
So today we're going to look at it in that framework. Number one, we're going to look at the fact that Holy Communion is a holy act. Number two, we're going to look at Holy Communion as an eternal instance. And number three, we're going to look at Holy Communion as a perpetual remembrance. Holy Communion as an act, a holy act, an eternal instance, a perpetual remembrance. Let's look at it being a holy act. When Jesus gathered with his disciples on the night before he was betrayed, before he died, he engaged in this holy act, in this ritual action. In Matthew chapter 26, verse 26 through 28, we read, Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And then he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink this, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Now, those of you that are in my first communion class that are here, hopefully you're paying attention. What are those words? What do we call those words that I just said from Matthew's gospel? Shout it out. Charlie, I know you know this one. Yeah. <laughs> the words of institution. The words of institution, right? Yeah, Evelyn's nodding. Yes, Sarah, you're nodding. Yeah, the words of institution, right? These words are special words. They're part of a holy act of Jesus' self-giving. In the presence of the disciples, Jesus took common things necessary to life and ritually made them holy. Receiving or eating bread and drinking wine were necessary to survival in Jesus' day, just like eating and drinking are necessary today. Bread was known as the staff of life because it supported life. You, can't, you can survive on very little. We've all heard the phrase, he's living on bread and water, right? Most of us are not living on bread and water, right? Some of us could use it. Uh, I'm looking at myself first. <laughs> but to live on bread and water, right, is necessary for the sustenance of our life so that we don't starve. And wine, well, wine had a different usage in Jesus's day. I mean, sure, it was used for celebrating things, but it was also the safe thing to drink because water wasn't always safe to drink. So in many times, people would drink wine, and we still see this in other cultures, at young ages, in order to maintain their health. It was also for celebration, too. Jesus is saying that all people must receive him to survive spiritually. But he's also saying more, isn't he? You see, the very first Holy Communion was a particular and eternal instance as well. Never to be repeated again. When we celebrate Holy Communion in the church, we're partaking in an eternal instance. 
an eternal instance. It's not something we're doing just as Jesus did. It's us participating in that instance that Jesus did once for all time. So when on the night that he was betrayed, Jesus, the word of God, through whom the creed says all things were made, took that bread and broke it and spoke eternal words over the bread and the cup. Again, he made something new altogether. He made something new out of common pieces of creation. This should start to sound familiar to you, right? Coming off of the Christmas season and the Epiphany season, where God became flesh and dwelt among us and elevated our human nature up, right? That's what the incarnation's all about. Here we see in Holy Communion, in that eternal instance, God taking common elements. The old prayer book calls them creatures because they're part of creation. And bringing them up to something holy. Holy Communion is an extension of the incarnation. Simple elements. Jesus takes and he makes them part of an eternal covenant of love to his disciples, and indeed to all Christians in all places, in all times. The sacrament of Holy Communion is that next step of the incarnation for God to feed us physically as well as spiritually. In the words of institution recorded in Matthew 26, Jesus forever tied together in one instance a holy act of the church. The ritual of taking, blessing, breaking, and sharing bread unites God's incarnation with us as redeemed but yet still sinful human beings, giving us forgiveness and hope. And his blood poured out as the cup is shared also is that partaking in the next day after the institution of the Lord's Supper on Monday, Thursday, but the one sacrifice of Jesus Christ on Good Friday. St. Paul writes in his first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 11, verse 26, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Did you ever think about that? That Holy Communion is a type of evangelism, too. It's the proclamation of this eternal moment for all time and all people. What Jesus is doing, friends, in Holy Communion is not just merely a symbol or an object lesson like one might do in a sermon. It's so much more. It's a holy act and an eternal instance tying together Jesus' incarnation, his crucifixion, and his victory, ultimately. It was an act of redemption. It's also an act of proclamation. Jesus uses these common elements of this world to feed his people, testifying to us of his eternal love for us, and his eternal commitment to us to feed us, but also proclaiming to the world and the devil 
who had considered himself prince of this world, that that reign was over and that his reign as the lamb had begun. There's a mystical connection between God and Christians and between Christians and Christians in Holy Communion, isn't there? That's what today's readings are actually all about. In this covenant between God, he makes us, for, he makes us holy and feeds us spiritually that we might be in communion with one another. You see, there's a vertical element of communion, connecting us by covenant to God, but there's also a horizontal part of communion, connecting us to one another as fellow Christians across the world of all denominations and traditions baptized into Christ. That's why St. Paul talks about the fact that there is one bread and one body, and we don't have the right, actually, to tell anyone who's been baptized to not come to that table. Jesus Christ alone, by his sacrifice, has made everyone that's received him worthy to come to that table. He's made you worthy to come to that table. He's made Evelyn and Charlie and Sarah and Emmanuel worthy to come to that table. And so there's a special bond in this sacrament between God and man and between each other. We one to another as Christians. Jesus actually picks up on this in his high priestly prayer. Perhaps you know that I'm, what I'm referring to. In John chapter 17, Jesus prays, beginning with verse 9, I am praying for them, that is, those left in the world. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours, Father. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And then continuing in verse 22, the glory that you have given me and I have given them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one. What's Jesus praying to the Father? He's praying for perfect communion that we as human beings would be in communion with one another in Christ, just as Christ is in communion with God the Father. That is a phenomenally uh, deep thing when you think about it. How is God in communion? How is Jesus in communion with God the Father and the Holy Spirit? In a perfect way, right? We get into that on Trinity Sunday. And it's only by God's grace that we can be in communion with one another in such a way through Jesus. Both in the epistle and the gospel readings today, Jesus deals with this earthly communion. In St. Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, he's frustrated and angry, isn't he? Did you catch that? Holly's a good reader. And, you know, sometimes... Uh, the, the readings of scripture, because we're in this sacred setting, get, the context gets lost. And I'm not saying that you lost it, Holly. I'm just saying that, you know, when we read snippets, sometimes we lose what's going on in the book. And, and Paul's actually kind of ticked in this passage. 
In 1 Corinthians, he's calling them a bunch of babies because of their jealousy and strife, if you wanted to put it into our language. What are they doing? They're dividing the church up based on who evangelized them or who pastored them or who baptized them. Why is St. Paul so frustrated and angry? Because they're breaking the communion of the church. They're breaking the communion of the church. And they're not just breaking the communion of the church for something important like doctrine or dogma. But they're breaking the communion of the church over personality. One follows Apollos. One follows Paul. Both St. Paul and St. Apollos were good men, good Christian leaders. But to break apart that communion merely on personality is a great tragedy. In Paul's time and in ours today, too. Look at that reading. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, specifically verse 9 with me. What does St. Paul write, concluding our reading today? For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. St. Paul's reminding the Corinthians that they're not building the kingdom of Paul. And they're not building the kingdom or the field of Apollos but they're building the one kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ, and it's his field to harvest. The Corinthian relationship with God is negatively impacted by their relationship, or lack thereof, towards their fellow Christians. So in other words, the second type of communion, that horizontal type, affects our vertical connection with God, and we dare not deny it. There's a connection between our holiness and our being at peace with our brother and sister. And St. Paul wants them to remember that. Jesus himself actually states this first in Matthew chapter 5 in our reading today. I'm only going to touch on it. But look at Matthew chapter 5 verses 23 and 24. It's on page 3 of your insert there. So if you're offering a gift, he says, at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled with your brother, and then come and offer your gift. What's Jesus saying? Well, what Paul's elaborating on in Corinthians that God immensely cares about our personal relationships with one another, about our communion with one another. So much so that Jesus says we're to prioritize that before this. Now that's, that's saying something, because this is your very connection, eating and drinking in the presence of our Lord. But our Lord is saying, look, prioritize your being reconciled with your brother or sister before worshiping me. Now, we were talking last week about the practicalities that sometimes it's hard for us to be reconciled with our brother or sister, right? Sometimes it's hard for us to do that. Jesus is giving that priority to us so that we don't just say, okay, I don't care about my brother. I'm going to go and take communion. There's a connection between that horizontal 
and vertical piece of Holy Communion. Now, on the other hand, not to get too technical, but sometimes we need God's grace in order to be reconciled with one another. And so we have to balance this command with Jesus' other commands to stay, to, to stay connected to the vine so that by his grace we can be reconcilers, right? There's a balance here. If we really dig into what our Lord Jesus is saying here, however, we're seeing that he's talking about reconciliation and forgiveness. Later on, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 14 and 15, Jesus, teaching the Lord's Prayer, says it this way. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Do you see there's a connection here between forgiveness as well? We could really dig into what that means, but we don't have time this morning. Suffice it to say, this connection is not to be severed. As St. John writes in his epistle, 1 John chapter 4, verse 20, No man can say, I love God, and hate his brother. He's a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. God calls us to be in communion, dear friends, with himself as well as with brothers and sisters in holy covenant, holy commitment. Communion's not a personal thing. Let me say that again. Communion is not a personal thing. It cannot be by definition. It cannot be by definition. It's us being connected to the Lord and connected to each other, knit together as the body of Christ. What does that practically mean? It means that in Jesus, God's only son, who took that bread and breaking it and broke it and took that wine and poured it out and shared it with his disciples, were given the elements of a covenant and also a proclamation of a great truth. That we might be made whole that we might be one in him, that we might be at peace with each other. That's what Jesus is saying here, that we might be nourished to the end of this life. On the night of the Last Supper, in that particular instance, Jesus made an eternal moment. And finally, when Christians observe that ritual act week after week in love, they participate in that eternal moment of his sacrifice and of his blessing us. The sacrament of Holy Communion, the Lord's Supper, the Holy Eucharist, is both that vertical connection to Jesus or to God through Jesus and the vertical connection between Christian to Christian in Jesus and a bold proclamation to the world that he will come again and has won the victory. As you come forward for Holy Communion today, dear friends, you're doing nothing less than committing yourself again to God, who loved you so much that he sent his son to die for you. He's committed to you. He is, by covenant, by his blood, by his cross. 
take that nourishment in the hope of the eternal, in the hope of the resurrection, and be fed for this time being until we all sit around the marriage supper of the Lamb at that high table feast. This is a foretaste of the things to come. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.